0: Lord, I thank you for um, a Friday where we can try different things. I pray that um, the game was fun and it helped us at least meet one another, people we normally don't talk to. And um, even if we just know someone's name, that's the start of saying hi to them in the future. And Lord, I pray that we would not be strangers to one another, but brothers and sisters that we look after and truly uh, care for um, as one family. And Lord, I pray that during the sermon that we would be uh, attentive and that your word would um, pierce our heart and convict us if we are walking, uh, whether we're walking close to you or far, far from you. So um, thank you, Lord. And um, we uh, we ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. A couple years ago, uh, how many of you guys like uh, Salvation Army or Goodwill? Oh yeah, a little bit of you guys. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. If you can find some pretty Great stuff there, if you wander around the furniture or um, the electronics aisle. And I think on Fridays, the one next to my house, you can get 50% off because it's like the red sticker Friday or something. And I remember I was wandering in the TV and appliance aisle and I saw a camera bag, it was like this big and it's blue. You guys might've seen me uh, wear it around before. And I checked the price tag, it was 10 bucks. I'm like, okay, that's a pretty good deal. And I look inside. I unzip it, and there's a camera inside, a vintage camera. I'm like, oh wow! Like, if this was did the worker like know? Like, would they charge higher? And I got really excited. Um, I don't shoot with a film or vintage camera, but the lens can work on my a digital camera, so it's like a two for one. It could still uh, cross over, and so it was a no brainer. And I brought it to the cashier. I was hoping that uh, she would open the bag and see the camera and charge me for that. But it wasn't like I was you know, stuffing jewelry in there and trying to buy that one camera bag. Um, and it was this really incredible moment. And I used that lens for like videos and pictures after that. And it's not like it was the best lens in the world, but it was really good because it was free and it, it was pretty awesome. And I think just the idea of finding a really good deal that no one else was really gathered around it. They didn't know about it. It was kind of a secret, but for some reason, I had stumbled upon the secret and it was really cool. And I think there's a parallel with Christianity. I I think there's a parallel with following Jesus because we're going to see in today's parable that following Jesus, it will bring great joy. Just how I was overjoyed when I saw uh, this secret camera. Um, And it's also similar to um, that. I had to buy the camera. It costs 10 bucks, but following Jesus, it's going to cost a lot more than 10 bucks. It's going to, we're going to see the cost of following Jesus. And we're also going to see that there is a consequence. There is something that happens if we reject Jesus. Now, if I didn't buy that camera bag, I just move on with my life. Nothing really happens. But when we reject Jesus, there is something that happens. And so if we can go to the next slide, I have a preview of today's slide, um, today's sermon. I'll go to the next two as well. Um, So the joy of discovering God's kingdom that there's That's the first point. And secondly, we're going to talk about the cost of joining God's kingdom, that it costs something. It is free, but it demands something of us. And third, there is something horrific that happens if we reject God's kingdom. And it's maybe something that we don't talk a lot about in church. And so um, as we jump into a parable today, if you weren't here the last two weeks, a parable is basically an everyday story that communicates a spiritual truth an everyday story that communicates a spiritual truth. So Jesus, he would use things like um, everyday objects like dirt, coin, uh, uh, fish, sky, things that we would all understand, but to explain something very profound. And I said this the first week, but parables do two things. Number one, it reveals truth to those who are very interested. It reveals truth to those who are very interested. But a second thing that it does, it conceals the truth parables, secondly, conceal the truth to those who are not really interested in Jesus, that they're just there to see a miracle. And today uh, in Unicoi, there's a lot of us here today. We could be in very different stages in life, and um, this parable, it will either reveal truth to you if you are truly interested in learning, but it can also conceal the truth that for those of us here who aren't really interested, it will hide that truth from you because you weren't really looking in the first place. So let's first look at the joy of following Jesus. So turn with me now in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. It will be in verses 44. Matthew uh, chapter 13 verse 44. We're actually going to go through three parables today, but they're so short. The first parable is only one sentence long. So don't get too uh, intimidated. They're very short parables. Um, And the second parable is also a verse long. So you don't have to worry about it being um, lengthy. So let's read verses 44 to 45. These are two parables all in two verses. Verse 44 of chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, the second parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. If we can go to the next slide, I have a picture of a man who finds a treasure in a field that he's overjoyed when he sees that. You know, back then they didn't have bank vaults. They didn't have safes to keep their um, jewelry. So in order to protect their uh, valuables, sometimes they would bury their treasure. And sometimes they would do it before going on a long journey because they didn't trust maybe their neighbors. And if for some reason they didn't return back to their home, whoever found that treasure got to keep it. And that could have been this man, maybe, who passes by this field and finds this treasure hidden in a field. And I want us to note that Uh, In verse 44, the second sentence, there's a key phrase I want us to focus in on. Uh, The second sentence of verse 44, look at the word, the phrase, in his joy. All right. In verse 44, the phrase, in his joy, turns and interprets this verse for us. That this man who is so overjoyed at seeing this treasure, he goes and sells what he has. It's because it brings him joy. And this man wasn't thinking, man, I got to sell everything, man. I got to tell my wife, my kids, I got to sell the house. No, it is in his joy that he finds this treasure. Maybe he goes home and sees his wife and kids and says, um, guys, I found something super important. It, it's going to set us for life. I know we're barely scraping by. I know we're barely making enough. Uh, we're paying using our paycheck month to month, but I, I saw something today in the field. We don't have enough money now, but if we sell everything we have, we might just have enough to get the field. And it's in his joy and in his excitement that he sells everything that he has. And so I want us to see that it's not in his sadness or frustration, but it's in his joy. And in the second parable, it's the same concept that there's a merchant, someone who's looking for fine pearls, and he finds a pearl of great price. And he sells everything, everything that he has to buy this one pearl. It's like finding if you were to pass by a trash can and you see a lottery ticket. I mean, you've seen a lot of those and not all of them are winners, but let's say this lottery ticket was the grand prize winner, $50 million. You would um, push that trash can out of the way. You'd grab the lottery ticket and um, run to, to the liquor store and redeem it because of how much it's worth. It's like finding a baseball card at a garage sale and it ends up being worth um, $10 million. These things that uh, maybe the world's not impressed by, but when you see the worth, it um, it sparks joy within you. And so if we can go to the next point, our number one is that the kingdom of God, it is absolute and everlasting joy to those who truly grasp its worth. God's kingdom, it should be characterized by joy. If you're a Christian, there should be joy. You should have um, this sheer joy that your sins are forgiven, that you have a genuine relationship with the living God himself, that he has a plan for you in this world, that you can know God more and more every single day. That no matter what hardship you face in life, a failed test, a broken family relationship, a um, a dark future, whatever happens, that if you're a Christian, you are in the kingdom of God and you have joy. And it's worth it in the end. I sometimes think about what I would do if I wasn't a Christian, if I wasn't a pastor. Um, What kind of job would I have? What do I do with my life? And I basically concluded I could probably still have a pretty decent life. Um, I might be a a teacher in high school. I don't know if you guys like me as a high school teacher. I'd probably teach PE, uh, make kids run around a track and laugh at them. Um, Or I would coach volleyball. I actually did that a bit in college, and that was really fun. Um, Or maybe I might work in the film industry. I like editing videos. So I think that would be really fun to do if I could make it. And I actually think I would probably have a pretty fun life. I could probably make enough money. Maybe I could travel the world. Maybe I could um, settle down and have a good time on the weekends and continue taking pictures. That's what I like to do for fun and um, playing around with my camera. I love doing that. I would probably enjoy that life if I were to be honest with myself. But if I were to be even more honest with myself, I would enjoy it until the day I died. Because I would realize that those things are nice but I lived a life apart from God. And when I die, God's going to tell me, Kevin, you lived a life apart from me. I'm just going to give you what you always wanted an existence apart from me. And when I think about why am I a Christian right now, do I actually find joy as a Christian right now? I thought about what makes me happy as a Christian. Does it really bring me joy? And I spent some time thinking about that and you guys could have a lot of different answers. But for me, one of the biggest joys I have as a Christian, it's just talking to God. I really like talking to God. And I mean the spiritual term for that is prayer. But for me, I really like talking to God. And wouldn't you freak out if your favorite celebrity talked to you? Like if Hugh Jackman talked to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, like let me see your claws. Like that would be so amazing. But if a celebrity texted us and we would freak out. How much more should we be in awe that the God of the universe communicates to us? And for me, I love, um, I really enjoy and treasure time with God. And I think about um, a time in college where I really doubted my faith. I think I've I've shared the story before, but I was um, on my couch senior year, and I just wasn't sure if Christianity was real. And I basically sat on the couch and said, God, I'm not going to move from this couch until you do something. I want to know that you're real. And I sat there for what felt like a long time was probably just only 10 minutes. I was just waiting for something. I don't know, an angel or like a knock on the door or someone to text me out of the blue, but actually nothing happened. Nothing crazy happened. And I said, okay, well, I'm tired of sitting on this couch. I'm going to take a walk in my apartment complex. And as I walked around my apartment complex, I just started talking to God. And I just started being very raw with God. Like, God, I'm majoring to be a youth pastor right now, but I'm having real doubts right now. How do I know Christianity is the path? And I just started pouring out my thoughts and my doubts and my emotions to God. And I ended up walking and praying for probably like an hour or so. And I thought, wow, that's been a while since I've done that. And that happened for another, actually one or two weeks that every night I do the same thing like, okay, God, I'm still not really sure where we're at, but I'm just going to talk to you. And that's what I did for the next one or two weeks. And I don't know exactly what happened in that moment, but I was reminded once again, one of my greatest joys is talking to God. And if we think about what it means to be a Christian. That's what God is inviting us to do, to be in a relationship with him, to uh, be forgiven, reinstated to know our creator. And I really, um, for me, that's where I find a lot of joy. And so I have some application questions I want to uh, pose to you guys. Um, the first point I want to ask you guys, do you truly find joy in following Jesus and being a part of his kingdom? Is that something you can truly say? Yes. I actually do find a, a deep sense of contentment and joy knowing Jesus could that be you or could it not be if we can go to the second um, second point um, if not where do you find your sense of joy happiness and purpose every person here worships something it's not a, it's just a matter of what you either worship god or you worship and prioritize something else um even go to the second point i want to challenge you with this prioritize daily time to be with jesus and daydream about heaven every single day. I think when we think about the kingdom of God, it should naturally be a springboard and where it causes us to think about heaven a lot. Because when we get so focused on this earth that the the math test this Friday or the history test next Wednesday or the makeup test next Thursday, and if that's all we think about and we lose sight of heaven, um, that's really going to put us in in a bad spot in life and daydreaming about heaven think about that think about what it's like to be with jesus in a world where he makes all things new i want you to, i want to want us to think about that and so this is the joy of joining god's kingdom um but now i want to talk about the cost of following and joining and participating in god's kingdom and so i want us to look again at the same first two parables but from a different angle the first uh, point i had us Um, wrestle with the joy. But now I want us to wrestle with the cost. And what is the cost of joining God's kingdom? If I could put in a word, it's everything. It will cost you everything to join God's kingdom. God is not interested in having your leftovers. He's not interested in having um, the time that after you're tired from doing all your schoolwork, from um, practice He's not interested in that because it doesn't really show that you love him. He's interested in your entire heart. If you look in the first parable, if you look in the second sentence, it says that in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. So he doesn't just sell one thing in his garage or one thing in his room. He sells everything. In the second parable, you see that the man, uh, the final phrase, he sold all that he had and he bought this. Pearl of great price. If you show the next picture, next point, uh, this is a man who has to sell everything. He is crying, but it's tears of joy. He sold his house and he is on this path to um, greatness in the kingdom of God. It's a hard path, but it's a joyful path. I was going to draw his family, but I didn't have time. But um, Not to say he's leaving his family because his family could come on, to, come on the journey with him as well. But, I want us to also think, imagine if we went home, how does family respond? Like, babe, you want to sell the house? But you said you want to settle down. You love this town. You love the city. You want to sell your car? But how are we going to get around town? Your grandpa gave you that car. It's vintage. You want to sell your, your stocks and investments? Like, what's going on? And to outsiders, the man who sells everything will look crazy. But to the man who knows the worth of that treasure He knows it's worth it. You might be sitting here right now thinking, so to be a Christian, do I have to sell everything? (laughs) Do I have to go home and tell my mom and dad, hey, mom, dad, I'm going to sell my shoes. I'm going to sell my bike. I'm going to sell my computer because this is what it takes to be a Christian. Is that what this parable is saying? I don't think so. And if we can go to the next uh, slide and next one is, yeah, this is the one. Uh, The kingdom of God, point number two, it demands absolute and full surrender of your heart. So it's not everything you own, but it's the surrender of your heart, Um, what you love, what you prioritize, what you desire. This is what the kingdom of God demands. Because later in Luke 10, uh, Jesus says that the path to eternal life is following this commandment that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So to follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that you give up everything. But it does mean that you fully surrender your heart to him. Which maybe it could mean giving up things that you really, really care about. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't care about your school or your math or science class. Or that you shouldn't play your heart out in your sports. Or that you shouldn't spend time with uh, your friends. Um, It's not like that. I want us to think about maybe... um, you know, in the Olympics, there's like first, second, and third uh, for the medal. I want us to see that as normal people, you and I, we have a lot of things going on in life. We have homework. I don't have homework, but I have to sermon prep and do emails. Um, we have friends. We, we um, have hobbies. We play video games. We watch Netflix. We have busy schedules. Being a Christian doesn't mean you give all that up, but it is understanding who is number one on that, so to speak, awards podium. If Jesus is number one, that is what truly matters. You can still have second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth place things, but you have to recognize its place. I can, I like cameras. I can enjoy playing with my camera and um, traveling and taking good pictures, but if that becomes a consuming thing and it becomes first place in my life, that's when it's dangerous because instead of reading my Bible, I'm going to go on YouTube and look at tutorials of how to use this new gear. Um, I can still have this hobby for cameras, but it just has to be maybe fourth or fifth. I can have time for it, but the question is, what's number one? And in your wild groups, I want you to think about who has, who or what has first place in your heart? Is it maybe something at school, maybe a success or a a certain college or your GPA, or is it um, having a lot of friends, having a lot of fun and just being happy in life? whatever is number one, let me tell you this, whatever is number one, everything else will be impacted by what's number one. Because if two, three, fourth, or fifth priority threatens number one, you're going to live your life in a way that protects what's first in your life. And so I want to give you guys four reasons why maybe some of us might wrestle or might struggle to take seriously God's kingdom. Look at these four points right now. Number one, it could be Maybe we've never understood the gospel. Maybe we, this is our first time in church and we don't really know what it means to be a Christian. And so maybe that's why we don't know what it's like to join God's kingdom at FAIR. And we're just happy you're here. Number two, maybe we've been blinded by the goals and ambitions and pleasures in this life. Maybe during church or when we read the Bible or when we think about reading the Bible, it just doesn't seem that fun to us. We'd rather uh, go on our phones or, or play a video game or go on social media. Maybe we've just been blinded in this life number three maybe we're afraid maybe we believe in jesus and we believe in the gospel but maybe we can't take that step because we don't know what it will cost us and number four maybe we understand the gospel but we're just really happy right now we maybe don't really want to change and so i want us to think about maybe one of these four things that could really uh be what defines us and if we can go to the next application uh the first one, think about what are the things in your life that you struggle to surrender to God and to give him control. I want you to think about that. And then point number two, I want you to beg God to give you desire to put him first. Because here's the thing, maybe you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, I need a change. And your first response might be, I'm going to try harder. And I'm actually going to say that's the wrong move. If you're Uh, Next step is try harder. You know what you're really doing? You're just going deeper into the gospel of law. You're just becoming a person who is legalistic, that if you depend on your own strength, maybe you'll become a better person. But isn't Christianity the truth that you're not good enough? I'm not good enough. No one by their own strength is good enough. And it's only God who can change us. So that's the cost of God's kingdom. And finally, let's look at the horror of rejecting God's kingdom. When we reject God's kingdom, there is a horrific fate that happens. So let's look at verses 47 to 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. Verse 49, so it will be at the end of the age the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If we can go to the next picture, I spent more time on this, but this is what would happen. Um, when they would gather fish, they would separate it, the good fish from the bad fish. I realized I made the bad fish really human-like, so it's really freaky but that's okay. (laughs) It has a nose. I don't think fish have nose. (laughs) Um, Back then when fishermen drew in fish, they couldn't say, Oh, Hey, Tim, there's a good fish. Get that one. Oh, Bob, there's a bad fish. Don't look, don't get that one. All they could do is just throw the net into the uh, ocean and take in everything and they'll do the sorting out uh, later. And so, A bad fish back then was a fish that had no fins or had no scales and they would just throw it away and they sort out the good from the bad. It's like when you buy a bag of balloons, like if there's a hole in one of them, you just throw it out. What's the point of having a balloon with a hole in it? It's completely uh, useless. And here Jesus, he's making an analogy. The idea of having good fish and bad fish all together. Have you ever wondered, at least I've wondered this question, why doesn't Jesus save us the moment, or why doesn't Jesus take us to heaven the moment we become saved? Like, imagine if Jesus was here, and the moment you become saved, Jesus says, all right, I'm taking you right now. Let's go. Let's get you out of this um, bad place, Um, and let's go. Imagine imagine if that happened. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? Like, hey, I don't get to deal with this messed up world anymore. I'm just going to go to heaven. And that would be, like, actually a pretty strong testimony if you saw people disappear. But for some reason, God allows the wicked and the righteous to exist until the final judgment. It's like allowing the bad fish and the good fish to be together for a temporary time. But in the end, when they sort out the good from the bad, that's when the good will be kept and the bad will be tossed out. That's when when God judges us in the final judgment, the wicked will be tossed out and the righteous will be um, thrown into the place of torment, we call it hell. And this is a concept. Hell is a concept that I talked about last week, but it's probably not really talked a lot about in churches because it's not a very good evangelism technique. You want you don't want necessarily scare people to go into hell, but it's a reality. The concept of hell is a reality, and if I were to sugarcoat this, this would actually not be loving to you and jesus says in verse 49 that at the end of the age the angels from heaven will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace which is hell in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth that phrase gnashing of teeth it literally means to grind your teeth together if you're in pain um So imagine um, that if you've ever stubbed your toe, like you'll, you'll wince, you'll, you'll grind your teeth because it's so painful. And Jesus is saying that's a, a small glimpse of what hell will be like, except that the pain will not go away. It will simply continue and exist. Why would Jesus be so harsh? Why would he be so mean? I want you to imagine for a moment that you are on the Titanic and it is, it is sinking right now. But you don't know it yet. You're in the ballroom, you're having a dinner with your friends, you're laughing, and someone runs into the ballroom, slams a table, and says, We're sinking. We have 20 minutes. Lifeboats are right there. Let's go right now. And what if you told them, Hey, whoa, the steak just came out. It's medium rare. I've spent $250 on this dinner. Like, how dare you interrupt my dinner? And you might be offended by this random guy who rushes in and tries to interrupt your dinner. But that person, if the Titanic truly is sinking, he is doing what's most loving to you. And he's warning you of the danger that will soon come your way. And I argue for Christianity, we warn you about the realities of heaven and hell because it is coming our way. There will come a day where God, we will all stand before God and we will be judged. And the wicked and the righteous will be separated. And after that, there's no do-overs. There's no second chances. There's no, God, now I believe in you there's no second chance this life this sermon about the gospel this is your second chance if you've rejected jesus if we were to die right now that's it there's no second chances and i want us to really wrestle with this because this is the most loving thing i can do to you to warn you of the destiny to come if we can go to the next slide i have Um, the third point, those who reject the gracious invitation that God's kingdom in this life will suffer God's wrath in the life to come. If we go to the next point, the application, uh, the first point, I want us to actually think about what would life be like without God, both in this life, but also the life to come. You should really think about that. Think about what's you should really think about if Christianity is true. I'm not forcing anyone here to believe, because if you believe because I force you to, that's not really genuine. But you should really think to yourself, does God exist? If God exists, which religion is true? How do I know this guy standing on the stage is telling the truth? I want at least wrestle with that. You should at least know for yourself. And I hope you can talk to one of us if you have any questions. Uh, second, a bullet point. I, I want us to consider that the only response we can have to salvation, is to repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. After Jesus was tempted by Satan and he enters his earthly ministry, his very first words in Matthew 4, 17 was, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent means to turn the other way. If you're trying to get to San Diego, but which is south of us, but you're driving north on the freeway to San Francisco, To repent would be to get off the freeway um, and go south because that is turning the other way. You're changing your behavior. You're making a different direction in your life. So in your life right now, if you truly have repented, we should be able to see a change in your life. You should be able to see a difference in your life. And so if you consider yourself a Christian, but your life doesn't change at all, I would argue that you should check yourself you should check if you're truly a christian because if you don't really live a life like a christian you're probably not a christian so i want us to really consider the principle the command to repent for the kingdom of god is at hand uh, my big idea for today is following jesus requires a complete surrender of your life and ambitions so can it demands everything, but it produces the everlasting joy of knowing Jesus and joining His everlasting kingdom. And I hope these three parables, it um, uh, it, you see this big idea come through in this. Um, what I want to end with um, is a quote from a famous author, C.S. Lewis, a Christian author. He wrote the Narnia series um and um he also wrote this other this really um powerful quote Uh, it goes a little something like this it says we are half-hearted creatures or let me start from here it would seem that our lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And if I could spell it out for you guys, a lot of us today are having fun making these mud pies. A lot of us are having fun just trying to play video games in life or trying to get the high score um, uh, in our classes or just planning for the future. But yet we don't realize that God is offering us something greater than that. And I pray this is something that you consider. Because the reality of heaven and hell, it is real. And tomorrow is not guaranteed. So I pray that even tonight, you could have a real conversation with God himself. Um, Let me pray for us, and then we'll uh, be dismissed. Lord, I pray and beg you that if there's any soul in this room that is not saved, that has not surrendered their life to you, that you would speak to that person right now, sitting in their seats, that you would pull and tug on their hearts, that if you are um, calling them to yourself, Lord, I pray that they would um, be compelled to talk to their leader, to talk to their counselor, and even more than that, talk to you, Lord. And to simply say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve the just um, damnation of my soul for my sin. I'm a screw-up. I'm a sinner. But that we'd also know that we have a Savior. We have a Savior whose uh, sacrifice on the cross covers our sin. And I pray that those of us here who truly want to believe that, that they would have a comfort that they are saved forever. God, please um, transform our um, our desires that do not honor You, Lord. Be with us in our wild groups and help us, Lord, to have a conversation that uh, bring brings honor to You. Uh, in Jesus, name we pray. Amen. Uh, I guess. Before-